that secret church video, that was so serious, wasn't it? I mean, it's good, but I feel so emotionally conflicted because after the bacon slot, I just want a BLT right now. Is that shallow? I just want a BLT with some mayonnaise and maybe some avocado on it. So I'm all for the gospel going around the world, but we've got to do a better job of separating those for us emotionally. So, all right, not just... I'm so distracted and really hungry right now all of a sudden. And now I'm going to the men's breakfast. So like I'm sure many of you are now, right? So, hey, I just, I want to just pause for a moment. It's, you know, Vanessa and I were not talking about the, the, what she shared when she came up. Those are spontaneous moments for us in, in our service, which is important to us because we believe that, that God wants to speak today. And the God we read about in the Bible is the, is the same God of today. And there's times where he just whispers things to us that he wants us to share with other people. And so while we were worshiping, uh, I felt like God was speaking to my heart this phrase that, that, that for some of you, you've stopped believing for a breakthrough that's just now within reach. And I had not shared that phrase with her. And then she comes right up and talks about this idea of not giving up on something that you're believing for. So for whoever you are that needs to hear that, God is, is, is after you tonight. You with me? That, that he wants you to know that he sees you, that he knows you, and that he's in the midst of your circumstance. And so if you raised your hand uh, earlier when, when Vanessa prayed, I just, I want to encourage you to dig into that place of faith for whatever you're believing God for. And if you need someone to stand in that place with you, then you've just got to let somebody know, and then we're going to begin to pray with you. If you're visiting tonight and you don't know another person in this room, then you come talk to us at the end of the service and share with us. And then we're going to start standing with you in a place of prayer. But there, I'm telling you, there's a breakthrough for somebody here and that, that God just, he can't wait for it to come and his timing is perfect. So don't give up. Come on. So good. So we are in a series on discipleship that we've uh, started uh, soon into the year, and we're just we're going to be in it until God says we're done with it. And uh, at first, I thought you know it was just going to be a series on the 24, 24 virtues that we teach as the is the portrait of Christ uh, that we all strive to want to be like. And then as I got into it, as you've heard me share, that now I realize that we're just supposed to be talking about all the different aspects of 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 how we do discipleship here at City Life. And so there's one invitation uh, which is an invitation to become a disciple that we follow through by obeying six commands, which we obey by walking in 12 pathways, and that helps us to become 24 virtues. So we've got a website that we launched this year called letspraxis.com. We've got some books that we published on it, so I'm going to put these down here for anybody who's visiting tonight that's bold enough to come and get them. Those are for you. You don't have to wait to the end of the service because we recognize courage here at City Life, so that's, that's up to you. If you don't get it because you waited, that's your fault. Come on. So, so we just we want people to live with a sense of empowerment. There you go. I hope you're getting that for somebody else because you have a blue shirt on. All right. Just making sure. He's nodding head. Adam's nodding his head. So we, 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 too many Christians live their life with this sense of doubt of how do I do it. They make a vow of devotion to Christ and they have a sense of confidence that heaven is promised to them, but, but then they just, they live, there we go, come on, nice. 
and, and then they live the rest of their life with this lingering doubt of, I hope I'm doing it right. And it should not be this way. That the Bible has such a clear path for us for what we're supposed to put our hand to this side of eternity. And so we want to be a church that teaches that. And so that's part of the motivation of this series. So there are 12 pathways, as, as, as I mentioned. We're going to be talking about one of them tonight. It's the pathway of gathering. There's a slide that's going to come up on, on the screen. But before we get into that, we like a little participation here. At, at City Life. So wh- when you think of great rivalries, what's something that you think of? You raise your hand, I'll point to you. Huh? Cowboys, Redskins, Michigan, Ohio State, Duke, UNC, Army versus Navy. What, that was yours? Hatfields and McCoys. Say that. Superman versus Batman. Any comic book people in here? Come on. Priscilla, did you have your hand up? No? Anybody else? Bryce? Cardinals and Cubs. Steelers and Ravens. And you're a Ravens fan, right? (laughs) Just kidding. We know. We know. I know. Mark? North versus South. I know. And that's not over, unfortunately, is it? I know. Trouble. The Patriots and everybody else, and I'm everybody else in that rivalry, just for the record, right? Patriots and everybody, everybody else. Tom got his jerseys back, so it's going to be okay. Somebody else. Anybody else? Rivalries that you think of in the back? Ford versus Chevy. Ford versus Chevy. Nice, Aaron. That's good. Alabama, Auburn. Or you could say that's kind of a Patriots, Alabama, and everyone else, right? I mean, I don't know. Fair enough. Somebody else? Android iPhone, yes, that's a good one. And which side of the street are you on on that? I forget, I know, I knew you were over there. We're gonna win you over. Stan. South Carolina and Clemson, Chuck. Glock and Sig. Glock and Sig, nice. To all of our, my Glock friends out there. Come on. UVA and Tech, that's a big one for Virginia. UVA and Tech, right? That's a big one. Go ahead, right, there you go. One more? One more out there? Rivalries? Jamal? Meat lovers versus vegetarians. Nice! I don't know if you're allowed to say that when there's a bacon announcement, right? Because I think the whole church is promoting, right? Which side of that we're on. I'm sharing that with you because I want to get your brain thinking about this idea of a rivalry and and this idea of competition and this idea of winning and losing. And and for some of those that you just talked about or you heard, you're connected to that rivalry, right? Because you've, you've chosen a side. And what I want to talk to you tonight about is what I believe to be one of the greatest rivalries that you're going to experience in this life. And it's one that's on the inside of you. And it's one that you often struggle with. It's one that I've struggled with at times in my life. And the interesting thing about this rivalry is both sides of this rivalry are in you. That you are a part of both. And this is what it is. There are some Saturdays when nothing is going to keep you from coming to church. There could be two feet of snow on the ground, which for us is about three or four inches, but that's two feet for Virginia, right? And, 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 and which it's happened before. Where we've canceled service because it's not safe, right? And then I'll get a text from somebody. It's five o'clock, where is everybody? 
right? It's a blizzard and the wind is blowing and there's ice everywhere and everybody needs to stay at home, but you're here in the parking lot because nothing will keep you from church. It could be that you had surgery on Friday, you're at church on Saturday, true story, Clem Heffron, Appendix removed a few years ago, if you know Clem. He didn't get out of the hospital till late Friday. He's at church, five o'clock on Saturday. We're like, Clem, what are you doing here? Right? He's like, oh, I'm coming to church. Right? Babies born during the week, moms are here with their babies on Saturday. We're like, what? Why are you here? Right? <laughs> oh, I'm coming to church. We could be invaded by a foreign power. Martial law would be instituted a curfew and a ban from leaving your house, and I would get a text from some of you at five o'clock on Saturday. Bro, where are you? <laughs> are we not having church today? It's a war zone out there, right? And you're, you're coming. Same person. Then there's some Saturdays where you're like, yeah, I'm not going to church today. I'm not going. Captain, Captain America could be standing at your door and you're like, it's gonna take more than some fancy shield to get me out of this house. Hulk could be there. You're like, I don't care, Dr. Banner, how angry you get. I'm not going, right? There, you know you've been there where there's, 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 there's some Saturdays where you have this resolve inside of you that you are going to church. And then there are some Saturdays where all the powers that be in the world will not get you here. And there's this rivalry that sometimes rages inside of us and God does not want us to be a victim to that rivalry. He wants us to win that fight. He wants us to overcome the don't go voice that sometimes is inside of us. And I believe that he's given us Psalm 122, verse one, which we're gonna get into it tonight. We're gonna be in this one little verse at least for tonight and next week, possibly the third week, depending on how we go because I don't wanna rush through it. But in this one little verse, I believe that God gives us seven specific commands. And if we are willing to give ourselves to these seven commands or these seven principles, I'm telling you, you will win this fight. You, you will win the rivalry. You will overcome the voice that sometimes comes to you and says, don't go. And the first one is this. He says to you and he says to me, you gotta be glad. He, right? The psalmist writes, I was glad. And in, in this statement, God is giving you a command. He's giving me a command. He's saying, you, you gotta be glad. That you've gotta make a conscious decision to be happy to be here. Some of you might say, well, what if I can't be happy about being here? What I would say to you is Matthew 6, 21, that says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the most powerful biblical principles that you can get a hold of in this life is that right feelings follow right actions. It might take some time for them to get there. It's one of the most recurring counseling points that we give to couples. Right feelings follow right actions. You might not feel like you're in love. You gotta start doing the things that bring about those feelings because right feelings follow right actions. The world says to you just the opposite and that's why relationships end when they shouldn't. That's why situations fracture when they should not. That's why people sometimes become a victim to their feelings instead of having a sense of governance over their feelings. God says to you and me, choose to be glad when it comes to church. Choose to be glad. Now, if depression is something you're battling with, that's a separate conversation. 
That's not what I'm talking about. If, if, if you're in a place in your journey in life where maybe you need some help chemically to balance for your emotions, that's not what we're talking about. That's another sermon for another time. What I'm talking about is when we're choosing to have a bad attitude about something and we don't have an excuse. Is that, that you and I, there are times in our lives where we have to make a conscious decision to be glad about something that we know we're supposed to be glad about and you have the capacity to do it. If we're not careful, we'll draw this conclusion that when God inspired the psalmist to write Psalm 122.1 is that sometime, somehow God was encapsulated in heaven and didn't realize in the human experience that there were going to be days where maybe gladness isn't the first motion that comes to mind. But if you believe about what God, what I believe, he's saying, no, no, no. I understand the human experience. I created the human experience. What I'm saying to you is be transcendent sometimes over that experience and let your emotions lead you in spite of your circumstances. This word in the Hebrew is the word samach. It's S-A-M-A-C-H. And it literally means to rejoice. It means to celebrate. It means to be glad. It means to be delighted. It means to take pleasure. You find this word in the Old Testament 148 times, 52 of them you find in the Psalms because so many of the Psalms are, are this, is this idea about celebration and, and, and rejoicing and this is one of the most common places where you see the word samach and you see it right here in Psalm 122. Listen to Exodus 4.14. It's another reference for this great Hebrew word. It says, then the Lord became angry with Moses. So this is Moses. He saw the burning bush. He's up there. God's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I've called you to lead the people out of bondage, right? Moses is saying, you got the wrong guy. I don't want to go. And God says, all right. He said, what about your brother, right? Because Moses is saying, I can't do this by myself. So God says, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? Now they've not seen each other for over 40 years because Moses committed a crime and then he's been on the run. He's a fugitive. God says to Moses, he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you and he will be delighted, Samak, to see you. How many of you have ever been away from someone that you love? Maybe you've been on deployment Maybe it's a work trip. Maybe it's a missions trip. And there's times when you're apart from that person and your heart literally aches to be reunited with them. Maybe you're an empty nester and your children are away and the moments when they come back and this feeling that you have when their car pulls up and they're walking up the sidewalk, that feeling that you have inside of you is samak. It's this idea of delight. It's this idea of the pleasure that you feel for something or someone. This is the word that God chose for how you and I are supposed to feel about coming to church on the weekend. It's powerful, isn't it? We, we connect with this idea of, I want to feel that about people. And many of you have felt that about people. But maybe for some of you, you've never felt that about this. And God says, no, 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 you're supposed to. We're supposed to choose to be glad the expectation that God has for us that we're going to gather together with the people of God. I love that this whole verse of these seven commands talks about our emotional response. I love that God starts there because if our heart's in the right place, come on, so many other things are going to follow. Being glad is not inauthentic. It's not betraying our circumstance. 
When God wrote Psalm 122, 1, don't you think he knew that there would be days when you would have ample reason to not be glad? Give yourself permission to celebrate, to be happy, to take pleasure in gathering with your church family. And when you do, you'll find something of the joy of the Lord to take back into your situation. Maybe you've had a terrible week and you're saying, Fred, I I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But when someone asks me how I'm doing, I'm not going to tell them I'm glad when I'm not. But what you could say is this. I've had a terrible week, and I'm about to cry, but I'm glad to be here. You tracking with me? You you can be happy about where God wants you to be, even though you're not happy about the circumstance that he has you in. And so many times, the reason why the circumstance that you're in continues to linger in a place of suffering is that you're not adding to that circumstance the things that God expects you to bring to that situation. And so many times, the reason why you're not bringing what you need to that situation is because you don't have it in you, and the reason you don't have it in you is because you're not going to the well that you need to draw from to bring something back to that situation. So many times, God has us in that situation because he's waiting for us to do the part that he's waiting for us to do. And sometimes it's finding a transcendent attitude, a perspective that rises above that you're never going to find until you immerse yourself into a setting just like this to be around people who can encourage you, who can love you, who can walk with you. We love Galatians 6 and those first few verses where it talks about bearing one another's burdens. The only way that someone can bear that burden with you is if you're present for them to carry it. How many have ever moved? Some of you, you should keep your hand up because we've moved you too many times. In fact, I'm going to keep my hand up because some of you have moved us too many times, right? If you've ever moved or helped someone move, do you understand this idea of bearing one another's burdens, right? Sometimes you've got a piece of furniture in your house and you're thinking to yourself, who do I know that can pick that up? Cameron Muro. Steve Ruggiero, right? You start going through the list of the guys at the church with some muscle, right? You you understand they're carrying that thing down the stairs and and you're hoping that they're done having children because this thing is so heavy. But the whole time you're thinking, without them, I never would have gotten this thing out of this house. Life is just like that. It's just like that. Part of gathering is investing in relationships, so that when the time comes where you need to need, when you need someone to carry something with you, you look around and there are some people that are there. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. God says to you, he says to me, if you're going to overcome this rivalry, if you're going to win this fight, if you're going to defeat the don't go voice that's inside of us, you've got to choose to be glad. Part of being glad is you've got to tell your face. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Really, because you don't look like you're glad. I'm just saying, right? Is that there's something about you saying to yourself, I'm not going to be my own victim. 
There's something about you saying to yourself, and again, I'm not talking about people that are struggling with, with serious uh, challenges in their emotional journey. That's another conversation for another time. I'm talking about people you could have a good attitude if you chose to. And you know what that's about, especially if you're a parent. There's times where you know your kids are choosing to have a bad attitude, and then it gives you a bad attitude, and it's their fault. Sometimes we grow up, and then, but there's parts of us that have not yet grown up. There's times in our lives where God says to you, and he says to me, don't be a victim to your emotions. Choose to be glad, especially about things that God expects of us, because if he expects it of us, it's because he has something good waiting for us in that place. And sometimes you might show up and you might say, well, it didn't happen. And sometimes it's because God says, because you've only come once over the last six months. That's not how it works. I'm not a genie in a bottle. You find it and you rub it and then everything gets better. No, no, no. You, it's called discipleship, which means it's a journey, which means that it takes time, which means that you have to invest your life in a process for things to begin to change. And this process called discipleship that he wants of us, gathering is part of it, and he says to you, and he says to me, be glad, be happy about it. Smile. The second one is this. Somebody say, choose good friends. So he says, be glad, and then he says, I think, choose good friends. When I see this, I was glad when they said that the they is important. They matters. Choose good friends. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 30 to 33. And why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, he was Southern, I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus, our Lord, has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, right? He's throwing a little shade there, calling the people of Ephesus wild beasts. If, if, if there will be no resurrection from the dead, and if there's no resurrection, then let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What's all that about? Paul is talking about people in churches, in Corinth and Ephesus, that were telling people that there's no resurrection. And, and, and if there's no resurrection, if there's no afterlife, then Paul's saying, that's problematic. If you let that teaching get loose in your church, then people lose all sense of motivation for what's to come. It's a fill-in-the-blank verse in the Bible. That might not be friends that you have in your life that are saying that to you, but you might have friends in your life that are influencing you in an equally destructive way. That's the fill in the blank. And then Paul gives us the principle in verse 33. Don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. If you're a parent, you better learn this verse because you're supposed to teach this to your children. Bad company corrupts good... I was glad when they said, who's your they? Who are you running with? And are they running to church on the weekend? Who's the they in your life? You and I are responsible for the influence that we subject ourselves to. Now, there's influences in your life that you don't have control over. 
Like your boss at work, maybe you wish you had control over that influence that's in your life. I get it, there's some influence that you don't have control over. But the majority of the influence that we subject ourselves to in this life, it's volitional. We choose to subject ourselves to these influences. And God says you and I have a responsibility to not put ourselves in environments and situations where we're continually gonna be inundated by an influence that tries to draw us in the opposite direction of God. You've gotta choose good friends. Now, I'm not saying to you that you shouldn't have friends who aren't Christians. I'm not saying that. It's kind of it's hard to do the pathway of reaching if everybody you know is on their way to heaven. That's not my point. I'm not saying that you need to unfriend all the people on your, your Facebook who, who might be living a life that's maybe a little bit different than maybe what you think God expects. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you need to stop hanging around with Christians who have made a vow of devotion to Christ, but they don't go to church anymore. Maybe they don't go to church anymore. They've got a good reason because they've been hurt and, 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 and their pain is real. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. As a church, we have three groups of people that we want to reach. We want to reach the undevoted. We want to reach people who have never made a vow of devotion to Christ. We want to reach the disconnected. We want to help people heal from their past hurts so that they can rediscover the gift of a spiritual family. But there's another group of people that we want to reach, and those are the disciples. We want to be a church also for people that when they come, maybe they're thriving in their spiritual journey. where they've, Maybe they've just made a vow of devotion to Christ yesterday, or maybe they made it 50 years ago, but they're just dialed in and on this race together. We, we want to be relevant in reaching that group of people too. What we're saying is that group has got to be the people that have the loudest voice in your life. That's what I'm saying. So when I talk about choose good friends, I'm talking about the ones that are the they and what they're saying to you that influences you and directs your life. That's the context of this verse. I was glad when they said, it's the people that you're listening to. It's the people that you're allowing to direct you in life. You've got to be careful about who those people are. And the people that you want to be influencing you should be the people that are just committed to this idea of becoming like Christ that you're supposed to be. And then the people that aren't committed to that, you're still relationally connected to those people, but you've got to make sure you're the one that's doing the influencing and not the opposite. You're the one that's supposed to be saying to them. You're the they in their life to get them moving in the direction of family. You've got to be glad You've got to choose good friends. You might say, well, Fred, if, if the majority of the friends that I have don't meet that standard, then what am I supposed to do? And what I would say is you have to redefine the ratio of friendships in your life by adding to it these kinds of friends that I'm talking about. And you know what a great place to start is? By showing up to church on Saturdays. It's the beginning of building those friendships. Now, there might be some friends in your life that you've got to find the courage to say, I can't be around you anymore because it could be that unhealthy. We get that. And if you need help figuring that out, we're here for you. And sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes you have friendships that are so destructive, you, you need to separate from that person for a time and a season and maybe forever, maybe forever. If, if there's the potential for harm, whether that be physically, whether it be spiritually, or whether that be emotionally. So sometimes, yes, there is something to be said for letting a relationship come to an end, but I think it's the exception. It's not the norm. 
If you're going to win this rivalry, if you're going to overcome the don't go voice, you've got to be glad and you've got to choose good friends. I was glad when they, when they said, unto me, unto me. Somebody say, guard your heart. You've got to be glad. That's command one. The second command that God gives to us is choose good friends. The third one is guard your heart. All of this is packed into this verse. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Let me read those verses to you in a different way, which I think is what Paul's trying to say here, but he's just being nice about it. He's saying, for some of you, the reason why you lack encouragement from the family of God and the reason why you feel like there's never any comfort for you from his love and the reason why you feel like you're always on the outside and you're missing out on the fellowship and the spirit that everyone else has is because your heart is seldom tender and you lack compassion. Oh, yeah. It sounded better the other way, didn't it? Listen to what he says. They make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Oh, here it comes. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. You might say, well, they're not. And then what I would say to you, that's the problem. (laughs) Don't look out only for your own interests. He's not saying don't look out for your interests ever because then that neglects self-care. He's saying it just can't be the only thing that's in your life. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I was glad when they said Unto me. I'm reading out of the King James because I, I like how the King James renders this because there's a difference between an unto me mindset and an all about me mindset. And that's what God is after right here in this text. He's saying, You've, you've got to have an unto me mindset, but you have got to stop having an all about me mindset. How many of you remember this toy? Oh, yeah, baby. The light bright. Anybody else here? How many of you had that on your Christmas list at some point in your life? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I remember. Now, I just turned 50. So, so when I was a kid, that was a long time ago. The dinosaurs had just died off, right? And so we had just moved out of the caves into the homes And the only way we communicate with each other is there was this box on a wall that had this thing that you held in your hand that had a cord that was connected to it and buttons that you push like you maybe have on your phone, but these were actual buttons. And then, and then, and then it would ring and then somebody on the other end would pick up the phone and you had to ask to speak to the person that you really wanted to talk to because multiple people shared this communication device. They only had one for every family, right? 
And so on Christmas, I would want to call my friends. My sister would want to call her friends. There was no taking pictures of what you got and posting it. The only way you knew what they got is because you had a catalog and you could look through the pages and they would tell you what they got and then you could see it. But you wanted to go so you would schedule times to go hang out at your friend's house over Christmas break and you would make the rounds because you wanted to see what they got and they wanted to see what you got. And I remember my friend Darren Kinsey on the phone saying, I got a light bright. (laughs) This is how pathetic our childhoods were because we were excited about a stinking toy like this. I walk in and my kids are playing and I can't tell whether they're playing a video game or whether they're watching a television program, right? The only way I know that they've got a controller in their hand. This is what I had to play with as a child. But actually I didn't because I never ever, I actually got this for Christmas. I know, yeah, yeah. The light bright. If you were creatively challenged like me, which is probably one of the reasons why my parents never got this for me, and you couldn't figure out how to put these colored pegs onto the light board that had holes on it, there were actually templates that you could use for the artistically challenged like myself. And you could pull out the template and follow the pegs and put them into the right place. I know, it's beautiful, isn't it? If you really love me, you'll find one of these at a thrift store and bring it to me. I'm just saying. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, don't do that. You know what I love about this analogy? is because this is life for you and for me. God is painting a portrait of purpose and you're supposed to be a part of it. God is painting a portrait of purpose and you're supposed to be a part of it. And I was thinking about all different ways to illustrate this. I thought about Legos and Lincoln Logs and all these, these different, different toys that we have that for, for building. But I chose the light bright because of this one reason is that until you plug into a power that is greater than yourself, your life will not shine and illuminate like it's supposed to. See, the beauty of this picture is that you and I are all of these different colored pegs because God has made us so unique. And then part of gathering, which is what we're doing, we're allowing God to pull our lives together to paint a picture of purpose for the purposes that God's called this church to. He's got different purposes for different churches. That's why we're a church that celebrates so many churches in this area. If you're visiting tonight and we're not what you're looking for, let us know. We'll give you a list because we just want to make sure that you find your family somewhere. All of us are supposed to be glad about gathering somewhere, whether it's here or somewhere else. He's gathering us together. And then as we come together, we find ourselves collectively as a community connected into the power of God and it illuminates who we are. If you're not here, then you're not getting plugged in and you're not part of the picture. You might say, well, Fred, I do all the other things in church. Then what I would say to you is then you're connecting in in the other ways, but you need all 12 pathways working in your life. And there's something about gathering here on the weekends that's different from all the rest. And I've got to choose to trust that if God says I need all of the ways that I gather to be present in my life, that I'm missing out on something if I withhold it from myself. This idea of a, all about me and unto me means that when you come, you come with an attitude and an excitement and a gladness of heart 
that you get to serve other people. You get to serve other people because that's the example that Christ has given to us. Matthew 20, 28, he said, I came not to be served, but to serve and offer my life as a ransom for many. We talked about that verse last week. This is part of gathering. One of the reasons why you're supposed to come is so that God can minister to you. That's why Paul in Philippians 2 just doesn't say, forget about your needs always because that's not fair because we do have needs. And one of the reasons why we come is because God meets our needs in moments like this, like he's meeting people's needs tonight who are about to give up on a breakthrough that's just around the corner for them. So we're not saying feel guilty about coming and getting something out of it. What we're saying is that can't be the only reason you come because that's an all about me mindset and and that's antithetical to Christianity. That's why unto me, me is still part of it, but it's not the only part of it. And while you're here, you're looking for opportunities to serve others. I plug this book all the time, and I'm plugging it again tonight. If you have some questions about your purpose specifically, about the, maybe the peg that you are and the uniqueness of who you are, then Eric Reese's book, Shape, which is an acronym for Spiritual Gift, Heart Desire, Natural Ability, Personality, Life Experience. It's a book that will walk you through discovering some things about yourself. Love that book. If you're going to win this rivalry, if you're going to overcome the don't go voice inside of you. You've got to be glad. You've got to choose good friends and you've got to guard your heart. The last one that we're going to do tonight, I'm going to actually introduce it and then we're going to pick up with it next week, is that you've got to be willing to both lead and follow. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us, the us and the they, speak to the group of people that our lives are immersed in, and there's a triune nature to the relationships that God calls us to into Christianity, and we've talked about the ones that we're walking with already tonight when we talked about choose good friends, but there are also, if our they and our us is going to be complete, then there should be those that we're following and those that we're leading Because that's the nature of the one invitation that is the basis of our discipleship model where Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Next week, we're gonna talk a little bit more about what that looks like, how we both lead and follow. I am the lead pastor of the City Life Church, but guess what? I follow people. No person, no matter who you are, is exempt from permission-giving relationships. And in fact, what I would say to you, the more responsibility you have, the more you've got to give yourself to permission-giving relationships. Some people like this idea of greater responsibility and more promotion because they feel like that there's less authority they have to be submitted to, but it's really just the opposite. You can invite the band to come forward. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So one of my friends from North Riverside Baptist Church, if you're visiting tonight, 
You know, one of the things we love about all of our campuses is that we, we're, in, we're a multi-church campus everywhere we are. We share facilities with other congregations. This is part of what we feel like is a purpose that God has given to us of, of crossing denominational lines and finding sense of kingdom partnerships with, with one another. And so we're here on Saturday, and then we've got a team that's, that's setting it up after the service to get it ready for North Riverside Baptist Church. And I've made some great friends in that church, and one of them is Tom Jepson. You've probably seen him around before. He's a little bit taller than me. He's a he's a he's a big man, gray hair, grandpa, and he's he's been at this church since the 1950s. Since the 1950s, such a faithful member of this church. He got baptized in the baptistry right there behind that screen. He he was telling me the story of his baptism. The pastor then he's on the wall. I think he's the third picture in. He was a slight man. He was a smaller man. And and Tom said to him, "I don't think this is a good idea, Reverend, because I, I'm not you know I'm a big guy." And he's like, "Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be fine." And sure enough. When he took Tom under the water, he was bigger than what Tom expected. And he, and Tom took him down with him. And they were both flailing around. And Tom, he's, Tom's a funny guy. He was under the water and he was thinking, great, my legacy of this church is that I drowned the pastor, right? So he grabs the pastor and actually pulls him up. I'm sure it wasn't one of the pastor's fondest memories, right? But Tom's full of stories like this. He comes in, he's retired, he'll hang out, and he just tells me the best stories. And he was telling me the story that back before much of Newport News was developed, he owned all this, this acreage that was right there off of Oyster Point. That was all farmland there back in the day, Mennonite country. And he owned a huge tract of land, and, 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 and he did a little farming. He was a, a, a lifelong uh, employee of the, uh, of the shipyard. But this is something he did as a passion because he's from Culpeper, and so farming was kind of in his blood. And he had this pony that he kept for his kids and his friends, Fred's kids, friends' kids to ride. And the pony's name, this is a true story, the pony's name was Pretty Boy, right? And so his, this pony had, had a habit of walking along, and then he would stop suddenly. And, it would, and sometimes it would throw people. Over, over the, right? And so apparently Pretty Boy the Pony thought this was, you know, a pretty fun thing to do. And so, but it was dangerous. And so no matter what Tom tried to do, he'd been around horses his whole life. He couldn't break this horse of this habit. So he called his nephew who owns a horse farm and that's what they specialize in up in Culpeper. And his nephew came, this was years ago, nephew came down and took the pony out for a ride. And sure enough, Pretty Boy stops, almost throws him over. Tom's nephew gets down, goes around to the front of that pony, grabs him by the beard of his chin, and he says, don't you do that again. Goes around, it would be on this side. Gets back on the horse, they walk a little ways, guess what the pony does? Oh yeah, stops. Tom's nephew gets down, grabs him by the beard of his chin, and punches the pony right in the nose. And he says, don't do that again gets on the horse, horse is walking along, guess what the pretty pretty boy does? Stops. It's like, all right. He gets off, he comes down, he grabs him by the beard of his chin, he punches the pony so hard in the nose that the pony actually sits down, shakes his head, gets back up, and pretty boy never stops short again on a rider for the rest of his life. Yeah, I know, yeah. I don't know anything about horses, but apparently that's what you got to do. I wouldn't recommend that you try it unless you belong to, unless the pony belongs to you, right? Just my disclaimer. Why, why am I telling you that story? Because for some of you, passivity is your problem. 
you have this voice inside of you that says, don't go. Don't go. And you know what you do? You don't go. And part of what God is saying to you tonight is I've given you some commands. I've given you some things that you need to start doing. And you need to find a sense of courage and yes, aggression over your own self and the voices inside of you that are speaking to you about things that are not of God. Passivity and Christianity don't go together. You might say, well, what about turning the other cheek? And what I would say to you, if you've ever tried to turn the other cheek before, you can't be passive in that moment. It takes some aggression over yourself. You might say, well, what about this idea of forgiving others? That's not passivity. If you've ever had to forgive someone who really harmed you, you know that passivity is the last thing that you needed. You had to get aggressive with yourself. I'm not talking about getting aggressive with others. I'm talking about getting aggressive with this in here, of being willing to grab yourself by the beard of the chin of that voice that keeps saying to you, don't do this and do that when you know it's not the voice of the Holy Spirit and something inside of you has got to rise up with a righteous indignation and say, stop it and find a sense of authority over your life. Stand with me as we close with this song. Father, I pray for every person here who's wrestling with this rivalry of go and don't go. And that maybe somebody here tonight, maybe that's the breakthrough that you've been speaking to them about from the very beginning. That they've got to find a new flow to their life. They've got to find a new routine that makes room for the things that you say to us you're desperate for them. Stop denying yourself. Help us to be glad. Help us to choose good friends. Help us, help us, God, to guard our hearts. And as we get into it next week, God, for those of us, help us to be willing to lead and follow. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.